Shannon Miller at Lizzled on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers of NT on the Twitters. And this week we are going to talk about something that people do on television that is honestly, from my perspective, not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) What a a way to kick off the podcast. (laughs) Like, first of all, there was no preamble, like none of our typical rambling where we just go off on a tangent for the first three minutes before we finally land on what the topic is you actually launched right into it which is great like great yeah but in doing so told our audience not a big deal don't worry about this what we're about to say isn't important because well i hear my reasoning i'm just i don't don't (laughs) question the reasoning i just i love that that's setting the tone for anybody who like maybe decided to sample us and it's like no, no no don't worry it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, <laughs> every week you and I sit down and we record a podcast and we do it in one gulp. We never, we very rarely edit anything out. Um, and I'm just saying, like, you know, we're talking about long takes, people. And, like, you and I just do one sustained take for 45 minutes sometimes. Oh, good point. Like, we, we just knock these out. <laughs> and they're flawless. They're flawless. <laughs> yeah, editing certainly wouldn't enhance our podcast. No one would argue that. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, I think the only times I've ever actually edited things out are, I think it's just really this one or one or two times when you say something really racist. <laughs> and that's just because I don't want you to get fired because that would be really inconvenient for me. I don't say anything really racist. <laughs> that's I, true. I make off-color jokes from time to time. I don't think they're that racist. Percy McGee. Of course, I wouldn't if I was a racist. This is tough. I do curse a lot, but you yeah. don't edit that out. I don't edit that out, and that's how we get banned from iTunes. Um, well, great. Let's talk about long takes. Yeah. I mean, I proposed a very weighty topic, which oh, may be the only thing that matters, but Justin too much Thoreau, for Liz. Justin Thoreau or death? They go hand in hand. It's it's easy to, <laughs> to talk about them. That's a thing to say about Justin Thoreau. I'm not saying Justin Thoreau is, is facing <laughs> imminent death, but we are all going to die at some point, including the great Justin Thoreau, and, and it's better <laughs> if we wrap our minds around these things. Thus concludes Ben's weekly reminder that we're all going to die someday. It's cute that you think that (laughs) concludes it. (laughs) That it won't naturally come up, naturally in quotes, come up later on. Oh, man. So happy Monday as you're listening to this. Clearly it's Friday afternoon as we record this. Um, And we're closing out. We're in this really, this is kind of in the follows in the category of three makes it a trend. I feel, but I'm blinking on the, oh, no. I think there's four. There's four or five, I guess. There's a few. There's a few. Basically, there's been a little, you know, a ramping up of the, you know, one take, long take, however you want to refer to it. But those long scenes that were at some point around minute two or so, you're like, oh, the camera hasn't cut once yet. Yeah. Long, and, continuous shots. Long, continuous lengthy, shots. Lengthy, arduous, continuous shots that are painful on the, the poor DP who's got that bulky camera in front of him and the weight balancing it out in the back and trying to move oh, yeah. as he was taught without tripping over his feet could ruin the whole thing at any minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always fun to, you know, it, the, the thing with lawn takes that I think we're going to get into a little bit is that the making of them is always a story. Like there's always some there's always some tidbit about what went, went on behind the scenes in order to make them happen that, you know, people find interesting. I've written about them. You've written about them. Uh, you've you you gentle listener probably read a 
somebody else writing about them. Who knows? Liz, do you remember the first long take you saw? First ever. You know, I would have to. I want to. This is such an easy and such an obvious answer, but I feel like the first time I ever really noticed it might have been uh, the X Files. Interesting. What about you? Do you remember yours? Um, I think I think the first time I had noticed it in terms of like of, of like hearing that term tossed around um, and and thinking about it and such was probably with uh, Children of Men. Really? Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably it. Wow, that's a, that's that's significantly later than the Excels. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those were also arguably some of the best long takes ever filmed. So yeah, they did a great job. Yeah, he sticks with it. Yeah, El Alfonso Cuarón, he should. Make movies. <laughs> movies or Netflix movies? Well, yeah. It's going to be, and Roma's going to be in theaters, though, I think, I believe. In theory. Yes. But, anyways, so the reason. In some it- theaters <laughs> that some very few select people can find, perhaps, maybe, maybe. for a week. For a week. Two? Two, for, two to qualify. <laughs> two to qualify. Really? It's two weeks now? I think so. Okay. I don't know. Um, Whatever. Yes. Going for that Oscar gold. Um, Good luck. Yep. So, anyways, <laughs> Roma aside, we're doing a great job of staying on topic today. I'm really steering it way off course repeatedly. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> X Files was actually a great way to lead into it, though, because yeah. uh, we've noticed some some recently. But it is important, as always, to remind you that this isn't the first time this has happened. Yeah. They've they've existed for quite some time. Uh, it just seems like the conversation around them on the TV side is ramping up. Yeah, I think let's well, you know there, it's you know there are clusters of things happening. Right. Um, and so, recently in the, in recent in the last two months, there was a very exciting. There's very exciting. It was not too long, like about two minutes um, sequence on kidding that was shot in one take, but documents basically years of this woman's life, which was really exciting. Um, and then there's also been recently an 11 minute long one take sequence uh, from Daredevil, which went through a basically a prison riot and featured lots of people getting kick punched and punch kicked, um, which is great. Uh, gotta love the kick punching and the face punching. I mean, when it seems like they connect, it's great, you know, unlike season one. Yeah. Daredevil. Uh, ben, ben, ben reasserting his his status as the only person who doesn't like that scene. I think there's more of us. I think just uh, there are dozens of us. They just didn't. They just didn't watch. There's like, I, yeah, it's Daredevil. I don't. I'm not going to pay attention to that. Um. Yes. So, and then also, uh, you guys haven't seen it yet, but Homecoming, uh, coming to Amazon very soon, features Mr. Robot creator Sam Asmail's, you know, traditional love of experimenting with this form. Mr. Robot creator slash friend of the podcast. Yes, slash friend of the podcast. Sam, if you're listening to this, hello. Uh, Talk to you soon, hopefully. Sorry, sorry, Sam. What? Sorry, Sam. (laughs) And uh, what was, there was another one. Uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Oh, that's right. Yes. On Netflix. Um, I don't know how long it is, actually. Cause it, it was quite lengthy, but technically it was tying two two time periods together. One one portion of it was set in a funeral home or, or yeah, a funeral home um, during a, a reception for an unnamed character. And the second was done within the haunted house itself, you know, when, when all the characters were younger and going through something uh somewhat traumatic and um i think i think that one's actually a good one to start talking about just because i think it's important to 
to note why that one was so effective. Um, and I think it ties into why the series was so effective overall in that um, a lot of what goes on in that scene is based in human drama. It's mm-hmm. based in uh, revealing important facts, uh, doing so in a theatrical manner, uh, which uh, elevates the drama within the scene, which is obviously good. Um, but also, because it's this it's this locked-in framework, this locked-in point of view, uh, where you know you're not going to be able to cut away or look away, and you're following the camera, and you're looking for things in the corners because things are happening in the background. There are things that are popping up and moving, and some of it is very obvious, some of it the characters notice, some of it they don't. Um, but that adds a degree of excitement and a rising tension to the scene because you know it's going to culminate in something because th- these type of things always lead somewhere, and this does. Um, but it's it's grounded in the revelation of information and characters confronting each other uh, in a way that's significant. And the way it's staged is almost deceptively simple, Um like a lot of stuff in the funeral home just kind of has them moving back and forth in the middle of this aisle. Like there's chairs set up on either side and they just kind of move back and forth between these two rooms, which are connected by a large, um, not a door, like a, like a frame, like a, mm-hmm. what is that? Like a door frame, but without yeah. the doors, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's, it's kind of in a line like that. And the camera, you know, moves as it needs to kind of within that space and eventually it moves between rooms Uh, and when it gets to the house it moves between rooms and goes through hallways and there's exploding windows and there's all this stuff Um, and again it's effective because it's grounded in that uh, human element and that's why the series is effective which is something we talked about on a recent podcast with Todd Vanderwolf who pointed out that um, you know a lot of a lot of horror can struggle on TV because of you know, various reasons, but because Hill House primarily is still a human drama, which is something that's obviously successful in this realm, um, the long take was used to highlight that. And I think that's why it works. I think that's why this one works. Yeah. Um, when you were watching it, did you know you were coming into a long take? No, I didn't know anything. Um, I don't feel... I can't get a good read on kind of how popular that show is. There's a lot of factors that kind of steer me toward it's being, it's something that people are slowly catching up with yeah. now. And there wasn't a huge buildup beforehand. Um, I wasn't overly familiar. I, I hadn't seen any of the films the director had done um, beforehand. Uh, Mike, fuck, Mike Flynn, that's not right. That's his name. Um, and Michelle Huseman? No, no, that's no, a no, no, actor. No. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Mike Flanagan. Flanagan, not Fleming. Flanagan. Um, yeah. So I didn't know it was coming, and it was, you know, as a lot of these are, if you don't expect them, it was that thing where you're like, oh, wait a second, how long has this been going on? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so, yeah, you know, and those are kind of delightful surprises, but it's also important to notice, you know, if you're, if you are noticing the one take, and that's the primary, primary thing you're noticing, that could be a problem. Yeah. I mean, I will note that when with the with the Daredevil long take because I was also watching I was watching a screener, um, thus had no previous information, and yeah, I definitely was watching the screener, and like I think at a certain point I was like I should go back and check this out again because I'm pretty sure this is eight minutes in we're eight minutes in and he hasn't cut once, and so yeah, figuring out and so yeah, I did go back and rewatch and <clears throat> figured out the exact point where it cut, and or where the first cut begins. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's like the thing we're talking about essentially is, with lawn takes is there are two aspects to them. One is, like you're saying with Hill House, like does it effectively 
work for the story. Um, and I would argue that the Daredevil one is, I think it fits nicely within the genre of the show. I think it's it's a really well-staged sequence, sequence of action, a really well-staged action sequence. Um, and it comes together, I think, in a really nice way. It's also just really funny how tired Charlie Cox is by the end of it. Like, he literally collapses, um, which is pretty, you know, it's just like on, on, which is even funnier when you kind of find out, and this gets to my second part, this my, my second thing about them, uh, when you get to the part where you find out that it was actually shot as one in one entirely long take. Like he was just on his feet for 11 minutes, kick punching. Instead of something that's looks like it's a one take, but is secretly stitched together in multiple takes. Yes. And that's actually, I mean, I, how do you feel when you find that out? When you find out that it wasn't actually one take, but they actually they've through, through science and or magic, uh, did manage to combine several takes. Oh, I don't care. Um, again, like it comes back to, to what they're trying to fulfill. It's not, it's not, I'm not looking for anybody to set some sort of world record for the longest one. So it's, it's, if the scene is working and I'm invested in what's happening in front of me, then that's really what matters. And that's when we know they're successful anyway. Now, um, it's kind of fun if somebody tells you that this was stitched together and you're like, whoa, I don't know how that happened. And then you can go back and look for it. I think mm. that's something that, you know, film nerds and, and TV geeks will enjoy doing. And I certainly enjoy doing. Um, but even if you spot it, like even if you're in the middle of it, and you're like, oh, I see. They they move behind a wall or, you know, somebody backed into the camera and created these shadows, you know, where it was dark enough where that's when you cut and then it can start again when somebody moves away from it. Um, a, a lot of those tricks, uh, it's fine. Like as long as it seems natural um, and as long as it's not there simply to prolong the one take for the sake of prolonging the one take, which is you know, the problem uh, that that the bad ones run into um then it, i don't i don't i don't mind it at all I, I i think that honestly if you're thinking that much about it it's just as impressive as if you if not more so than the other way because you're making the choice that in that moment you need to cut to set up whatever's next and usually when they're stitching these things together it's still stitching together you know a minute two minutes three minutes something of a substantial amount of time compared to the rest of what's cut um, so you're putting a lot of effort into the staging and you're putting a lot of effort into the blocking so that you can stitch that together, which shows, you know, a great, deg- a great degree of, of, you know, forethought of, of somebody, you know, making a concrete plan and sticking to it. And, uh, when you have that kind of clear vision, usually that's what people are looking for in entertainment these days. Mm-hmm. So it's nice. Yeah. Um, the last season, Mr. Robot had an entire episode that was quote unquote one take, which was not filmed as one take for the record. Um, but and they began production on it literally the first week of production on the season. Like, they basically spread out. Uh, they, they broke, I think it's like 22 sequences broken out across the episode. Um, and they basically started filming them, filming it in chunks, uh, like, to kind of just space it out because they knew it was going to be exhausting. Um, but... Yeah, but it, it required, like, immense amounts of planning. And, like, you know, especially, like, when it came to stitching together, you know, scenes that were being filmed, like, weeks apart. So, yeah, I mean. No, I, I mean, I, I'm i so impressed when you kind of see how they come together like that, no matter no matter the length. Um, the, 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 the kidding one you mentioned from Showtime. Yeah. Uh, that was one where when I watched it, I was 
so engrossed in what was happening in that moment that I didn't really think about the fact that it was a one take. And when the scene was getting ready to wrap and she walks out the door, I was like, oh, I think they did that all together. But I didn't think about it hard enough to go back and see, huh, I wonder if they were able to cut or what they were able to do. And then they released the video, uh, the behind the scenes making of it, where it's just this overhead shot showing all the people moving, all the things getting brought in and brought out, the right. actress like changing in like you know the side stage, uh, the the director and the assistant director, you know, yelling uh, camera commands and and movement commands and and just constant, you know, there's it's constant movement. It's a constant blocking exercise where things are cycling in and out because they're showing this passage of time and it's it's a uh, it's basically just a woman who's inspired by Mr. Pickles, Jim Carrey's, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Rogers' ex-character. Um, she sees him on TV. She starts to kind of adopt his lifestyle tips, uh, his his way of seeing the world, and she becomes this better person. And, you know, her apartment gets nicer. Uh, she does exercises and kind of cleans herself up. Um, there's there's a lot. There's a dog. I think she gets a dog. She, she gets a, she, does, first, um, she gets, first she gets a puppy, and then he becomes a dog. Which which frankly, like the the idea that they involve animals in this. Yeah, why not is, children? While, while yeah, you're exactly. At it. That's insane. Like that just seems like you're trying to make it harder for the sake of being harder. But it, it but but the scene itself is absolutely the opposite of that, where it feels so natural and it's such a smooth, beautiful scene. Um, that you just kind of love it for what it is, whether it was you notice it's a one take or not, and that's what you're looking for. Like that's the kind of thing you're looking for, and I think that's the magic that Esmail is so good at, at capturing by yeah. cutting it together. Like you look at those scenes and you're like, "Ooh, that was fun." I, I like see what you did there, but you did some cool shit. Like it was engaging to watch that from start to finish. Oh yeah, there's some, yeah, there's some really cool stuff in uh, Homecoming that uh, I I can't talk about yet, but it's it's just neat. Just like they had fun, they tried some new things, they experimented with influences. It's really cool. Um, oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a it's a brilliant homage to Hitchcock um, and so many more. But yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Clute. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think in terms of in terms of lawn takes that don't work, like going back to the X Files, I think you, you you said something really interesting, which was about how like you don't care if they if you don't care about like figuring out that where a splice is if if as long as it's like doesn't weigh down the scene or anything and i think like the exiles is like pretty a pretty early pioneer of this in the television format and chris carter was just still figuring out how to do it it's like one of his one of the one of the episodes he directed during the show's original run that really represent him trying to experiment as a creator and which were always very exciting to see. And <sighs> I'm nostalgic for that period of time, Ben. I'm nostalgic for it. Aren't we all? Um, but anyways, so this is one of his big directorial experiments. And the you can see you can see the you can see this, you know, it's pretty clear where certain things are happening, what where certain cuts are being made. Um, and it definitely affects like definitely affects a few a few of the chunks like the first uh the first part where Mulder's on the uh, the first part where Mulder's on the ship um uh, he, and he's running around the corridors it's better in later in the episode but in that early section it's like so darkly lit to the point where it's nearly black it's nearly impossible to see anything and part of that is so they're literally hiding cuts in the black but it's also like not really very watchable um, as much as I love that episode, like 
it's you know it's got flaws and i think they they've they've definitely they definitely stand out like 20 years later but at the same time i can't get mad at it because it was what it was at the time well it's also an interesting example of of the demands of what you're taking on when you decide to do it based on kind of the 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 medium i guess the that it was broadcast. That yeah. thing had to be what? What's the time code? Forty three. Forty. Yeah. Like, like between. 44. Like they're they're given how much wiggle room, you know, in terms of commercial. Like it's it's very tight. Yeah. And when you're doing something, even on a cable network these days, let alone streaming services, where you're kind of just given free reign, you know, it's okay if you're a little long or a little short. Like it's, if you've got like a, a a one take, you're kind of stuck with whatever the best version of that is. You can't chop it down usually. To you know, to to tighten it up if you need to tighten it up, and you know, the X Files was something where you know they're they're trying to make that work on a on a level of specificity that other shows don't necessarily have to operate on, and right. that's you know one of the things that I find to be flaws in in one takes these days is if if you feel like this could have been better, tighter, faster, more efficient if they would have shot it normally, where it's that's when it starts to feel indulgent. Like, if it's like, this is kind of running long, like, I, I get it, but you're not, you know, keeping it inventive enough to keep me interested uh, for the purposes of the take, so. Yeah. You know what? I'm just remembering this is a long take that wasn't, I think, intended to be a long take. Um, there's, it, in the season two finale of Better Call Saul, uh, I think you watched it that far, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Michael McKean gets taken to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, I think they basically so they they the way that scene plays out it's all from his point of view it's this extreme close up on his face and they're just like running him into the hospital he's just like Michael McKean's acting his ass off he's panicked he's scared, he's panicked he's freaking out uh, in like the noise around you it's like it's just all very disorienting it's very much matches what happens if you get taken to the hospital and you just don't under, you know and you don't understand what's going on um, but they did not really they, – I don't believe the plan was originally for them to do that as a long take. Like, they shot coverage. They shot coverage of the whole thing. Um, and I think they just, in the editing bay, were, were like, we can just do this. We can just let the scene ro- uh, rest on his face. And it works really well. But, that, you know, that's a, that's a happy accident. And very few of these that we're talking about can even can have – even that level of accident in them. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good reminder that, you know, for as obvious as it may seem, a lot of these are so reliant on the actors. Like they not only have to um, get their lines right, hit their marks, you know, some <laughs> more important than others in terms of marks. That oh, yeah. Haunting a Hill House thing with the windows exploding. I don't know if it was CGI or not, but <laughs> like the idea that he trips at the wrong <coughs> moment or something and gets hit with a wall of fake glass seems pretty bad. That would that um, would be unpleasant. Right. But they also have to give their best performance in that take. Like, whatever the best take is, they have to be at their peak at all times. Yeah. Otherwise, they risk being the one who distracts. Like, if you just kind of didn't quite hit your line right um, or you aren't reacting to what the other people are doing in a, in a reasonable fashion and you're within the frame, that's going to throw things off, too. So there's a lot of um, a lot of reliance on actors. And, you know, somebody like Michael McKean, you know, no surprise that he could – take something that wasn't intended to be a one take and make it work with just his face. So um, it's pretty good. Yeah. Man, uh, so in a, in a forthcoming interview, as you listen to this, I don't think we're going to run this until after uh, the show premieres. Uh, I did an interview with, uh, you know, an actor from uh, from uh, Homecoming, and she talked about uh, – she talked about – she. This, I, I wanted to find this quote because I really liked it. Um, 
because I was asking her what it was like to be in the middle of one of these shots. And she was like, we just got so in sync and we were like a bunch of children trying to make our their dad so proud. I don't know, maybe upwards of 20 people who all have to move in a kind of syncopation from start to finish or to re- build things, take things out, get people places to walk that don't really exist. And she like mentions like the, the gri- she and the grip operator apparently got very close because they were right on top of each other. Yeah, no, I I got to talk to Stefan James. And, Humble um, brag. Mine or yours? <laughs> yours, I was joking, I, I was no. joking. Um, but uh, one of the things he talks about, and he's mentioned this in like a bunch of interviews, a couple that have already ran, was that like he was so focused on just memorizing these lines, you know, because a lot of it is just two people in a room some of it is just on him so there's no cuts but you've got to keep going no matter what mm-hmm. and um he was so focused on memorizing those lines that when it came time for him to have his chemistry read with julia roberts he's not even thinking about julia roberts being in the room he's just like i gotta fucking be on top of this stuff um i'm walking in yeah nice to meet you great are we gonna do this okay we're gonna do this i'm ready like i'm in in the thing like and you know everybody gets a little starstruck from time to time and uh for it to be that demanding in terms of just the words you have to memorize, let alone the intonations that you want to remember or the choices you have to make when you're doing it. It's a lot. And, um, you know, I think, I think choosing those actors, like the casting process, obviously has to be pretty intense and intensive, like, uh, in terms of scope well, when you're finding those actors. It reminds me of how, um, because when Steven Spielberg was making the post, he wanted to, uh, he, you know, he basically was trying to make it in like a matter of weeks, and so he worked with with his casting director. He was like, okay, well, we'll get Meryl, we'll get Tom, and then let's fill the rest of the cast out. And he said at a Q and A I was at that he went like he, his, you know, his casting person went to like theater, like thinking that theater people would have like a really good understanding of how to memorize a lot of dialogue and perform it very quickly. Hence, Tracy Lutz, Carrie Coon. But he all, Bob but Odenkirk. but really, what she did was she went to TV and she found the TV people because that's, what was I think I did the math on it one. It was like in forty nine Emmy nominations amongst uh, the, the the supporting and regular cast, including a few people who should have had should have more Emmy uh, should have Emmy nominations like uh, Alison Brie. Actually, did Alison get nominated for this year? No, no, that's stupid. It is stupid. Damn it. Next year. Better be. Yeah. I will set fires, Benjamin. I mean, Julia's back, though. Yeah, that's true. Julia, the room and then... It's, it's funny, kind of funny. I was like, Julia, it's like this year, uh, this year, this year at the Golden Globes, uh, Jim Carrey's going to win an Oscar, uh, win a Golden Globe for uh, Best Actor in a Comedy. And Julia Roberts could win uh, Best Actor in a Dra- Actress in a Drama. Oh, no. I'm talking about Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, yeah, that too. The one who's actually the one who's competing against Alison Brie. Yeah, that's true. And you know the reigning queen of television. And our hearts. And our hearts. Glad you're feeling better, Julia. Because she listens. Maybe. Maybe you don't know. Yeah, it's really good we don't edit these these podcasts. Again, one takes. They only work when they couldn't be tighter. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, and the thing is, they're but they're they're still really fun to talk about. They can be. <laughs> ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Um, I'm gonna just dedicate my the last opportunity to talk about this show in in 
terms of it still being on the air, even though as you're listening to this, it is over, but you can go back and watch it. Uh, the best show on television is still America to me. Um, the stars docuseries from Steve James. Um, it's, uh, as you've heard me talk about before, set in a uh, Chicago suburb where they followed uh, students at a Oak Park River Forest High School, the Oak Park River Forest High School for a year, um, kind of tracking a, a variety of, of them uh, in terms of you know, what might be holding back some students, what, uh, what kind of inequities were involved in uh, the curriculum and, and uh, what kind of biases were employed by the teachers as well as you know, what kind of obstacles some students faced that others didn't. And um, it's a show that you could dissect over and over again for, for so many years and deserves to be. Um, I hope that anybody who has the opportunity to watch it has and gives it a shot. And now that it's all out there, you know, 10 episodes, you can you can watch at your own discretion, at your leisure, and go all the way through. Yeah. Ben is encouraging you to binge television, people. Yeah, again, I don't I don't want you to binge it. Like, it's better if you watch that thing kind of broken up and have the discussions that each episode sets up. Um, but, you know, just figure out any way you can watch it, and that would be for the better. So uh, it's on Stars, America to me. Watch it. Liz, yep. best thing you watched last week. Uh, I caught up on uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia this week, and holy cow, they've had some really great episodes this season. Um, I'm thinking specifically of The Game Does a Clip Show, um, which, have you gotten to watch that yet, Ben? Mm-hmm. That is a masterpiece. I loved it. It's Yeah, it's very good. Um, and I feel like, I feel like it's just, it just kind of, it's just kind of fascinating that this show just, you know, maybe they're taking more time in between seasons, they're taking... You know, who knows when we're going to get a season, if, if slash when we'll get a season 14. But I just love the fact that they are still so good at making this show and delighting in, in, delighting in the weirdness of it. Yeah, they don't, they're not looking to stop at any point, and I don't think FX is either. Um, it's, yeah, they're, they're, they're people who, who've also done an episode that was entirely one take or looked yeah. like one. Charlie Burke. Um, exactly. Uh, but, uh, but they look for that stuff. They look for inventive new ways to tell stories with these characters. And there's always going to be more topics for them to explore because this is the world we live in. And they're a great group of people to look at, especially the state of America, I would argue. But, um, but yeah, no, this, this season's been great. Yeah. Oh, the gang solves the bathroom problem. That was the other one that was really special. I found that they're just such delightful dirt bags. And I love a show that glories in that. Shout out also to The Good Place, which I think has been really great this season so far. And also a, a show that really champions and it, it embraces dirtbags. Mm-hmm. To a degree. To a degree. I mean, Jason is a lovable dirtbag, and, and so, is, uh, so is Eleanor. I guess I'm just having trouble comparing them because the argument that The Good Place is so clearly making is that all of them are good at heart. Whereas that is not the case with Sunny. That they is a very fair vile. point. Yes. They will not be going to the good place. No. Except maybe Charlie. No. <laughs> not Charlie. <laughs> I don't know if there's a character on the show. Like, even a lot of the people they bring in to, like, kind of provide counterpoints. Wasn't, well, like, like the, the whole, like, there's, like, like uh, what's his name? Cricket, who's entire, the entire point Cricket, of that character Jesus. is that, like, he was a good person and he met them and his, his life has fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Yeah, even he's not going. Um, so yeah, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, the next thing I'm looking forward to, Elizabeth, is 
um, well, eh. yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Deuce. The Deuce season two is getting ready to end. Um, it's on very sad. This coming Sunday, uh, season two at least. There's they've been renewed for season three, so the third um, and final season. The third and final season, as planned, as always planned. Sure. Um, but it's it's still such a relevant show as but that word gets tossed around a lot it's trying like it's a show that's trying to show humanity in a in a way to shift perspectives a little bit and um i think it does an amazing job every episode at kind of evoking a particular sense um especially if you allow yourself to sit with it a little bit so another one that i like that's airing weekly uh, another one that you know now that it's over you People might decide to start binging slash watching at their own pace, however you want to call it. Uh, but no, I, I love The Deuce and uh, look forward to it when it comes back for the final season. Uh, but for now, just catch up. Yeah, I, I, I need to catch up. I, I've watched, but I've watched a fair fair chunk of the season. It has been full of delights. It is another one that not enough people are watching. So yep. get off your asses, you lazy bums. Uh, Liz, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I, I won't be able to talk about what I think of it, but uh, for for a little while because there is an embargo. But I have six episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 waiting for me, um, which I have to watch this weekend because uh, I'm doing interviews next week, and I am excited for it. I'm that, that it's a it's a very nostalgic childhood favorite of mine. Like we used to watch it during the Comedy Central days while doing laundry on the weekends, and I always really enjoyed it, and I still do. And I think uh, and I, I'm glad that it's coming back for Thanksgiving. I think it's a perfect thanksgiving uh, marathon show and so it should be a fun time cool yeah you know you got you got, you, you got bad movies you got uh, robots making fun of them uh you got felicia day doing her best supervillain impression it's great sounds good it's a very specific sort of thing and you'll be able to eventually you will get to read all about it and more on indywire.com where you find news reviews interviews features all the stuff you like uh, and make sure to listen to all of the IndieWire podcasts, including the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson, uh, as well as uh, the one, the only, the perfect, great Crystal Falls Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. And I don't know when exactly this is airing, but on an upcoming episode, a very special upcoming episode of the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider, uh, one of the very good TV podcast favorite actors, Max Greenfield, will be guesting and talking about a certain show that everybody who's still listening to this podcast must like a little bit. Otherwise, God knows you would have bailed. Uh, so make sure to listen to Turn It On podcast with you Michael You very Schneider. nearly had to put a dove in the jar. Worth it. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know that you know what's worth it and what's not. It's always worth it. <laughs> because, Liz, as we've discussed before, it's a perfect avenue to discuss our mortality. And it's healthy to discuss one's mortality from time to time. Jar. I'm getting you same, a second jar. In the same way that it's important for us to discuss things that we're afraid of in order to cope with them as human beings. God, I'm going to murder you someday. Mm. You should think about that, Liz. I know, I do. You think about I think often, about it regularly. How often you say that statement? I'm working, working up a, a, good head, a good head of steam. But why? Why are you so intent... <laughs> On killing the person who reminds you of your own mortality, Liz. The only person, arguably. So that you'll stop. And why do you want me to stop? <laughs> because. Because you're afraid. God. 
You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter and reminder of her <laughs> impending mortality at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Oh, and should we yell people to vote? You should vote because otherwise, why are we here? To die someday, apparently. Well, no, we're all going to die. But the point of the point of talking about death is to better appreciate life. And if you don't vote and make conscious decisions about what you're trying to do with this life, then you're not really taking part of it. And you're not making an effort to enhance it for everyone else. So, yes, absolutely. You need to vote. All right. We'll be back next week. Thank you again for listening. So sorry about Benjamin. And as always, keep watching television. 